SEP Fanfic Readings presents A Thousand Words by Olive Juice 28 Chapter 5 Moving Day Hermione's childhood home was where she had returned to once the battle was over, and again after leaving Redland. Being there was painful, however, especially since it seemed increasingly less likely that her parents would be joining her there any time soon. So far she had heard back from six of the experts she contacted, and they had all said similar things— that they were very sorry, but they did not think there was anything they could do to help, that the longer a memory charm was left on a person, the harder it was to remove. Also, since the talented witch had not simply removed one specific event, but an entire lifetime of memories of herself and the relationship they shared, the spell was much deeper and much more complex. One healer had offered to go observe her parents, which she had granted him permission to do, but he had written back shortly after to say that he stood by his original prognosis, and that he, too, had been unsuccessful in lifting the charm. So now it was left to her to decide what to do about the house and all of its contents. When her parents moved, they took very little with them, aside from clothing and a few sentimental items. Hermione couldn't allow them to take photographs that included her, so she had cast notice-me-not charms on anything in the house that would allude to her existence. As a result, her parents had only taken things that pertained to the two of them, and their life as a married couple, and she had planted the idea that they had called in a realtor to deal with the sale of the house. She had met with Kingsley upon returning from Australia to let him know how it had gone. He was very kind and sympathetic, and offered several suggestions on how she could proceed. She decided to go with one of his options, the one where she would keep the house for now, and allow herself not to worry about trying to sell it or moving out until after she completed her eighth year. She would cast stasis spells on the yard, so the neighbors wouldn't wonder why no one was cutting the grass. She would also cast notice-me-nots all along the edges of the property, so that passerbys wouldn't pay any mind to the quaint, two-story home that seemed to be unoccupied. She needed to pack up some of her own things, because she was not going to spend the holidays here, alone. Instead, she had decided to take Harry up on his offer for her to move into one of the many spare rooms at Grimmauld Place for the year, although he had insisted she could stay as long as she liked. It was for that reason that she was expecting her raven-haired best friend that afternoon. He had promised to help with all of the spell work, as well as the moving of her belongings. Thankfully, they could just take everything through the flu network, so the task wouldn't be quite so arduous. Hermione had just fixed herself a cup of coffee and was sitting down at her kitchen table when she heard the fireplace in the living room roar to life. She turned to see Harry step out of the green flames and rushed to greet him with a hug. "'Harry, thank you so much for coming to help me,' she began, but he cut her off. "'No problem. Hey, I hope it's okay, but I've brought reinforcements.' Before she could question his statement, the flames flickered again, and out onto the hearth stepped Draco Malfoy. He looked around for a split second before his eyes landed on her, and froze. "'Granger,' he nodded, shoving his hands in his pockets and trying to not to goggle at the strange objects in her home. He had never been in a muggle house before and found himself incredibly curious. But his discomfort at being in her presence took precedence, and he stared at the floor instead. She had never responded to his letter, not that he had really expected it, but he had assumed the Gryffindor princess would have jumped at the opportunity to remark on his sudden freedom, or perhaps to call upon his repayment of debt in the way of signing up to free all the house-elves in Britain, or by funding the construction of some sort of sanctuary for hippogriffs or manticores. He had never asked Harry if she said anything about his letter. His pride wouldn't allow him to show that it mattered. So now, here he was, definitely second-guessing his decision to come— seeing as she was continuing to stare at him without saying a word. Harry broke the awkward silence. "'Yeah, so Malfoy's going to help move all your stuff. I got permission for him to go between your place and mine for today. Figured we'd get done quicker.' He shrugged and twirled his wand nervously between his fingers. 
Of course, said Hermione, seeming to snap out of her shock at finding Draco in her living room. Thanks, Malfoy. She gave him a small smile, which he returned with a shrug and a nod. She was surprised at his lack of snarky retort, expecting him to sneer at the muggleness of her home, but chalked it up to his supposed change of heart. She turned her attention back to her friend. I think I want to start with the charms outside, just in case any of the neighbors happen to pass by and see into the front window. People popping in and out of the fireplace might cause some alarm, she chuckled lightly. Sure, said Harry immediately. I'll go get started on that, and you can show Malfoy what needs to be done in here. Before she could protest, being left alone with an obviously increasingly uncomfortable Draco, Harry had escaped through the front door. Hermione sighed, and Draco looked at her, unsure of what to say or do. She still had a weary, defeated look about her, which she attributed to the events regarding her parents that she had shared at his trial several weeks ago. He didn't know how to start a conversation, or if she'd even want to have one with him. He was trying to decide between asking her what the large black rectangle in the room was and making some jokes about all the scary-looking items in the kitchen, when she looked up at him and spoke. "'Would you like a cup of coffee, Malfoy?' "'Coffee?' He couldn't hide a surprise at the unexpected question. Um, sure. He figured that that was the safest answer, afraid that if he refused, they'd just continue to stand there in awkward silence. Hermione headed back to the kitchen, Draco trailing after her. She took a mug from the cupboard and retrieved a glass pot, filled with dark liquid from an odd little contraption on the counter. He watched as she poured the streaming coffee into the mug, and started when she asked, "'How do you take it?' "'Take what?' "'Your coffee,' she said with a small smirk. "'Do you like cream or milk or sugar?' "'Uh,' Draco was unsure about this. Typically he drank tea, and on the rare occasion when he had coffee, it was already prepared on his tray by a house-elf. He guessed Hermione had figured out the reason for his confusion as she chuckled slightly, and moved to the tall silver box at the end of the counter. It had two doors, and she opened the one on the right, reached in, and grabbed a small container, and shut the door again. She also retrieved a little bowl with a lid from the counter, and placed both of these on the kitchen table. She then put his coffee mug and a spoon in front of one of the chairs. "'Have a seat,' she told him, not unkindly. As he did, Hermione crossed the kitchen and picked up a dish covered with some sort of silver paper, placing that on the table near him as well. She removed the silver paper, and he was greeted with the warm, mouth-watering smell of cinnamon and sweetness. On the dish was a loaf of bread that was still steaming, and appeared to have a thin crust of sugar on top. Draco had always been partial to sweets, but any sort of cake or baked goods were at the top of his list. He eyed the still-warm confection with poorly disguised longing and looked up to see Hermione trying to hide her own smile. "'It's cinnamon bread,' she indicated the dish before him. "'I made it just a little bit before you and Harry got here. It's one of his favorites. Help yourself.' When he hesitated to reach for it, she continued smirking. "'I promise I didn't poison it.' Draco stared at her, raising an eyebrow. "'You made this?' he said incredulously. "'Yes,' she snorted. "'I know how to cook, Malfoy.' Most muggles do. Draco went slightly pink. He hadn't meant to make it sound like that. He was just surprised since he had never made anything he'd ever eaten in his entire life. He felt embarrassed by this, now that he thought of it, but instead of dwelling on his glaring ineptitude when it came to the culinary world, he allowed his desire to taste the delicious-smelling bread to win out. He cut a small slice and nibbled the corner, just to try it. It was amazing. Warm and dense, but still fluffy and sweet, with just the right amount of cinnamon— he took a bigger bite and closed his eyes while he savored it. He was brought back to his surroundings by a small giggle from Hermione. She had settled herself in the chair catty-corner to his right, her own mug of coffee in her, between her hands, her eyes sparkling in amusement, as she watched him inhale the rest of the slice. "'It's okay, then,' she asked, smirking at him again. "'Not poisoned, yeah?' 
Draco allowed himself a grin and nodded. He looked at the carton of milk and the bowl that now realized contained sugar in front of him. At a loss for where to begin, he glanced over at Hermione's mug and noticed that her coffee was a much lighter color. His brow furrowed, and she came to his rescue. "'I take two spoons of sugar and enough milk to make it this color, but if you want to start off with less, you could always add more.' For the next several minutes, Draco fiddled with his coffee, adding a bit more sugar and another dash or two of milk. He felt like he was back in potions class, for Salazar's sake, but in the end, his concoction held three and a half spoons of sugar and slightly more milk than Hermione's, making it just a tad lighter. She seemed entertained, watching him the entire time, and he was surprised to notice that she no longer seemed awkward or wary in his presence. He glanced up at her, and she chewed her lower lip for a second, as if trying to decide something. "'I got your letter.' she began quietly. Harry gave it to me a couple weeks ago. You didn't have to thank me, or anything. Yes, I did, Draco cleared his throat and looked back down at the mug he was now clutching tightly. If it wasn't for your testimony, and Potter and Weasley's, I'd still be in that cell. She didn't reply, just continued to look at him, so he went on. I meant what I said to Shacklebolt that day. I plan to use this chance to do something worthwhile. He looked up and met her eyes, which seemed to bore into his own. He felt like there was a question in their chocolate-colored depths, but there was also understanding. It made him feel both hopeful and embarrassed, in ways he couldn't explain to himself. He looked back down at his mug. "'I know,' she said finally. "'I honestly believe you'll make good on your word, too, Malfoy. And I want you to know I appreciate what you said, and—' Her breath hitched. "'I don't blame you for anything,' she finished it near a whisper. His eyes flew back up to hers with a hard, searching gaze. "'What did she mean?' but she answered his unspoken query immediately. I don't blame you for what your aunt did, and I don't blame you for the way you treated me in school. I know it was what you were raised to believe. You said you were sorry. I accept your apology, and I forgive you. Her voice was trembling now, and he could see tears ready to spill past her long lashes. He had hoped today would, at best, be spent in some sort of tolerant civility from his former target. He had never expected this. He was honestly, truly, deep down in the dark and hidden places he tried to lock away, sorry for everything he had done and said to her over the years. But he never imagined she would be willing to forgive him so quickly. His heart was pounding, and he felt lightheaded as he listened to her speak. We're going to be back at Hogwarts together in a few weeks, and I'd much rather start the year off on a positive note. After everything that's happened, I don't have the strength to hold grudges. She paused and took a small, shuddering breath. And life is too short anyway. We didn't fight so hard and lose so much just to continue hating. Hermione wiped a few tears that had managed to escape and looked at him, waiting for a response. Yeah, Draco said thickly. I, uh, I agree. Positive is better, he finished lamely, still reeling from her declaration of forgiveness. Hermione took a deep breath, gave him a watery smile, and gestured at the plate in between them. Would you like another piece? When Harry returned to the kitchen thirty minutes later, he was greeted by a sight he was most definitely not expecting. He had intentionally left Hermione and Draco alone. He knew Draco had apologized in that letter, and he also knew his former rival needed some sort of response to it, as well as he knew his best friend would bring it up eventually. Hermione had been so overwhelmed since returning to Britain, he knew she hadn't replied to the missive, but he also knew that she was determined to put the horrors of the past year behind her, and having a conversation with Draco was an important part of that. Harry, rather smugly, told himself that his best friend didn't often realize how intuitive he really was, and the proof was right there in front of him. Draco and Hermione were standing next to the kitchen counter, staring intently at a small appliance between them. 
On the kitchen table was a plate stacked with toast in varying shades of doneness. Several pieces were burnt beyond recognition, while others looked like they had barely been warmed. A few pieces had one or two bites taken out of them, and half of the loaf was still in the bag. "'What's going on?' Harry started to ask, but Hermione waved them off and pointed to the toaster. "'Malfoy's learning to make toast,' she stated, grinning at him and rolling her eyes. Draco, on the other hand, was concentrating furiously on the metal box in front of him and muttered, "'I'm going to figure this out.' At that moment, the toast popped up, causing all three of them to jump, and Draco grabbed the two pieces and held them up for inspection. The bread was golden brown, slightly darker around the edges, but not the least bit charred. He bit off one of the corners and chewed for a second, then raised both of his arms in triumph. "'Perfect!' he exclaimed. "'Finally!' chortled Hermione, gesturing to the stack of rejected pieces on the table. "'I made cinnamon bread, Harry, if you want some. I managed to save a few slices before Malfoy scarfed down the whole loaf.' Harry laughed and pulled out the third chair, while Hermione grabbed him a mug of coffee. In the meantime, Draco was putting two more pieces of toast in the toaster, double-checking the settings before pushing the lever down. "'More toast, Malfoy?' Hermione asked, incredulous. He had already eaten almost half of the cinnamon bread, plus two pieces of unsatisfactory toast before launching this experiment to make the perfect slice. "'I need to make very sure that the last batch wasn't a fluke,' Draco stated very seriously. Hermione sighed and shook her head, still chuckling. "'Do you want butter or jam or anything?' I've got marmalade, or strawberry preserves. She started walking toward the pantry. Strawberry's good, said Malfoy, not taking his eyes off the toaster. Oh, I've also got this. Hermione reappeared from the pantry, and he glanced her way. She had a jar of strawberry preserves in one hand, and a jar of something Draco had never seen before in the other. What's no-tell-a? he asked. Harry snorted into his coffee. Draco glared at him, and Hermione showed him the jar. Nutella, she corrected. Try it she offered. You'll like it. Understanding that he was reluctant to give up his vigil of the toaster, she brought a plate with the two slices of toast he previously declared perfect on it to the counter, pulled a knife out of the drawer, and plunked it into the hazelnut spread. Draco looked at it skeptically, but spread a small amount on the corner of the piece he'd previously bitten and took a small bite. As Hermione had expected, his eyes widened and his face broke into a brilliant smile. "'Oh, this is good,' he started." but then his toast popped up and he jumped in fright, dropping the piece in his hand on the floor. "'Bugger!' he exclaimed, causing the other two to laugh. Hermione picked the piece off the floor and tossed it into the bin, waving the two pieces that had just finished toasting. "'Pretty sure you've got enough to work with there.' Draco took the new pieces and the jar of Nutella and sat down across from Harry, who was watching him with unabashed amusement. Draco didn't care. He had just been introduced to the best thing since those canary creams the Weasley twins had invented— although he never told anyone he tried them. And he'd be tossed if he let Potter distract him now. He spread a layer of Nutella almost as thick as the toast itself, evenly across the slice, and sunk his teeth into it. Once again, he closed his eyes and allowed himself to be completely immersed in the heavenly experience. There was chocolate, and hazelnut, and the warm, crunchy toast. It was fantastic. He hummed to himself, then realized the kitchen was eerily quiet and cracked one eye open. Harry and Hermione were both sitting there watching him, shaking with silent mirth. "'Sot off,' he muttered, his mouth still full, which only caused them to burst out laughing. The trio spent the rest of the afternoon transferring Hermione's belongings to Grimmauld Place. She was taking a fair bit, her school trunk filled with robes, books, parchments, and quills. She would need to visit Diagon Alley in the coming days to purchase the items on her eighth-year list, but was bringing most of her school supplies from previous years.' 
She also decided to bring her own towels and bedding for her room at Harry's, as well as a variety of knickknacks and sentimental objects. She packed two suitcases full of muggle clothing, since she planned to spend both school holidays in London, and was standing in the living room gazing at a large, framed photograph that was hanging over an old, upright piano when Draco came back through the flue. "'That's it, I think,' he said, brushing ash off of his clothes and walking towards her. She did not turn to look at him, but continued to stare at the picture, her arms wrapped around herself, and made a noncommittal hum in response to his words." Draco turned his attention to the photo as well, noticing that it was of Hermione and two adults who were certainly her parents. The three were somewhere on the coast. The ocean horizon was spread out behind them, the sun peeking out from the upper corner of the image. The wind had obviously been blowing, as strands of curly brown hair had made their way across both Hermione's and her mother's faces, but they were all smiling, genuinely beaming, like they were in the middle of laughing at a hilarious joke. For a fleeting moment, Draco felt a twins of jealousy. He couldn't remember ever sharing a moment like that with his parents. His father's version of laughter was no more than a derisive grunt in the general direction of the person or object of his entertainment, and his mother, up until very recently, would never allow herself more than a close-lipped smile and a small, hmm. Hermione made a slight motion with one hand, and at once the wind was blowing, and they were laughing. It was almost as if Draco could hear them. Clearly she had developed the photo in magical solution, and then put a freezing charm on it once it was hung in their parents' home. He allowed himself a split second of admiration for her use of wandless magic, and then internally snorted. She was the brightest witch of the age, if everyone was to be believed, so it shouldn't surprise him that she had mastered a skill many fully qualified witches and wizards wouldn't even attempt. "'Have you ever heard of the phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words?' she asked him, causing him to snap out of his thoughts. "'Uh, no, I can't say that I have,' he replied, wondering what she was talking about. "'It's a muggle saying,' Hermione began. "'It's the idea that a picture, of any sort, is more than just a pretty landscape or a captured smile. It's everything the picture encompasses.' She paused for a moment, collecting her thoughts before continuing. She gestured to the picture and said, "'This photo was taken about a week before I left with Ron and Harry last summer. A week before I erased my parents' memories.' It was taken in one of our favorite spots on the Isle of Wight, where I had talked them into going on a last-minute holiday. She paused again this time. Draco could tell to steady her voice, which had become thick with emotion. She pointed to her father. My dad had gone to the cafe earlier that day to get breakfast for us, and had a ridiculous misunderstanding with the owner, who had a very thick Scottish brogue, and couldn't understand why my dad would want bangers for breakfast. I guess the Scots don't call their sausages that. A slight pink tinged her cheeks that Draco was pretty sure he grasped the meaning of. She continued, So he was telling us the story, and my dad is a very good storyteller, so we were just roaring about it as we walked towards the beach. A little while later, we asked a random person to take a picture for us, and right as they were getting ready to snap it, my dad whispered, Bangers, to my mom and me, and we just lost it all over again. Hermione was giggling and wiping her eyes at the same time, and Draco felt like both laughing and crying as well. He settled for a quiet chortle, and looked expectantly at her, sure that she wasn't quite done. Anyway, back to the point. She huffed a deep breath. This picture isn't just a nice photo of my parents and me on the beach somewhere. It's that ridiculous story. It's the smell of the sea air mixed with fish and chips from the stand near the edge of the beach. It's the sound of the waves behind us and the gulls overhead. It's my mother's laughter and my father's big hug after we were done. It's all of those things, and it would probably take well over a thousand words to explain it precisely, but one look at this picture, and I feel like I'm reliving that moment again. She turned and looked him straight in the eye, 
whiskey brown meeting steel gray in an unblinking and slightly desperate gaze. Does that make any sense? She framed it as a question, but it was more of a plea for understanding. And he did understand. Listening to her describe the events of that day, he felt like he could have been there too. Yes, he said quietly. It makes perfect sense. They stood there looking at the photograph for another minute or two, when Draco made a suggestion. Why don't you bring it with you? Hermione looked at him, slightly surprised. You know, I think I will. She took the frame from the wall, shrunk it down to the size of a playing card, and tucked it into her pocket. Looking up at him, she gave him a small smile, saying, Thanks, Malfoy. He shrugged, and they both turned back towards the flue. As they walked past the kitchen, suddenly Draco stopped. Wait! he cried. Rushing around the wooden table, he reached out for something on the counter. Hermione stifled a laugh as she watched him carefully unplug the toaster, wrap the cord gently around it, and carry it reverently over to her. "'You almost forgot this,' he said with complete sincerity. "'Oh, yes,' she cleared her throat, deciding to be nice and not point out that she really wouldn't have any need for the muggle appliance at Grimmauld Place. Very important, that.' To this, Draco nodded briskly and strode into the fireplace, leaving Hermione shaking her head as she took one final glance around her living room before she followed him.' 